is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host with the most, Brandon, joined by my co-host with the even more followers than I could ever imagine. Chelsea youth, Phil the legend is here because, my mans, we got more academy updates. Like before the season started, we were like, yeah, we'll do like monthly updates, maybe like every fortnight or so, which is two weeks for you rookies out there. Uh, and here we are, like the the bully bus can't stop buying academy players. The matches have started. It just seems like there's too much to talk about right now when it comes to Cobham. I thought it'd be pretty quiet. No, no, real serious. It's, <laughs> there, there seems to be a new storyline or a development going on every day. If there's not a match, then there's a transfer rumor or somebody being signed. And there's been plenty of people being signed as we've spoken about already this summer. Um, so... As always, when there's something to talk about, let's talk about it. I love it. I love it. Well, let's go ahead. Um, we had a couple of matches that were played, um, and I, the 18s had their first match, the Dev Squad, with their second match. Um, so we'll kick off with the Dev Squad because they had some familiar first-team names to get some minutes for people. Uh, they played Fulham. Uh, it was pouring down rain or pissing down rain, as I think you guys would say it. Um, and they had Ampadu, Chilwell, Chalaba, and Chukwameka involved in that one. Uh, kind of give us the high-level overview. How did that game line up? How did it go? Yeah, so I think the important thing to talk about here is that it would have come at late notice that the first team players were dropping down for involvement, and there was some uncertainty throughout the day whether Callum Hudson-Odoi was going to be joining them. Uh, and when you parachute players in in this scenario, and it can happen early in the season, it can cause a little bit of disruption to a group that has spent pre-season working together, gearing up for the start of the campaign. And we saw what a positive start to the season Mark Robinson's development squad had. They won 7-1 at Wolves, absolutely rampant. And to go from that to a little bit of a, a an awkward uh, adjustment with these guys coming in is, is an adjustment they have to make, but you can mitigate the, the, the eventual scoreline. I don't think Chelsea played particularly well. You could see that there were situations where certain players weren't familiar with each other and the, the four first teamers coming back down were short of minutes so that they're not at their absolute peak. All three goals were arguably from mistakes. They were all scored by a 17-year-old at Fulham called Luke Harris who's an outstanding young number 10 goal scorer. Models his game on Frank Lampard and if you catch some of his highlights you can certainly see that in him. And yeah, he, there were there were one or two moments that of bright brightness from Chelsea Ben Elliott had a really good game in attacking midfield uh, nobody really covered themselves in glory Chuck Wemeka had some nice touches he linked with Amari Hutchinson well they they played together a little bit for England under 19s and they've got that similar creative wavelength but you can just chalk this one up as an early season hiccup hopefully and I would think it's unlikely that you'd see so many first teamers involved with the development squad in one game for the rest of the season, you might see one or two of them until the transfer window closes because opportunities to play, to get minutes into people are still needed. Some of the boys who didn't play in this one had a game the following day at Cobham against Coventry with the likes of Ross Barkley and Mishi Batshuayi also played in that one. So That's they're just weird. trying to get minutes. It's weird that one right didn't now. make the headlines, Phil, that Mishi and Ross playing against Coventry on the next day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was probably it, it was mostly a development squad, and though they played, I think Baba Rahman played as well. It's just one of those games where you need to keep scheduling things because there's still that excess around the squad and plenty of development squad players who need minutes as well. So, likes of Derek Abu and Josh Brooking, Jimmy Tarianen, who haven't played in the Dev squad or didn't get as many minutes in preseason, they need to catch up. So, 
this sort of thing happens in August. Um, it's just a shame that it was such a disappointing second game after such a, an exciting and outstanding result in the first one. Yeah, I was uh, really hyped about that last one. Uh, assumed we were going to win the treble. Uh, now we're back to think about relegation, and I just don't know where to land in between, <laughs> Phil. It's been... <laughs> oh, it's a good thing that Chelsea have landed comfortably in mid-table right now. So uh, uh, we, You can take solace in the fact that Manchester United are the bottom of the PL2. They lost uh, 5-1 to Crystal Palace on Friday night, so it's not quite as bad for Chelsea right now. But it, it's worth pointing out as well that Fulham are uh, an extremely well-coached and close-knit group. Steve Wigley... Uh, led their under-18s to back-to-back Southern League titles in the last couple of years, um, directly at the expense of Chelsea and some of those, and then moved up to their under-21 group last season. And they've, they've got some good quality there. And when you have a cohesive unit that sticks together, starts the season together, two wins from two, while the Chelsea disruption not just brings in the Ampaduccio or Chalabar, Chakwemeka, lots of CHs there for Chelsea, but also you lose... Harvey Vale and Charlie Webster to slight knocks. They they weren't involved either. So two really influential players missing that maybe in Harvey's case, he's played and trained with these guys a lot regularly. You can maybe he could be the, the glue that brings those two disparate groups together. I don't know, but maybe it's just a one-off. Yeah, we'll have to, uh, you know, continue to progress. I mean, like you wrote in here, it's you got to balance the first team needs as well as the dev, the dev squad needs. And, and try to you know shape it as best we can. That is one thing. The Chelsea squad is quite bloated. Uh, you know we we've known that they've been trying to shed players uh, as fast as they can and, and as best they can. But you know this is the time where Chelsea look to squeeze out that last little bit of value of players um, as the window wraps. Maybe people get uh, a little bit more desperate. You know apparently Ross Barkley to Celtic is is a new one. Um, you know, so he's going to need to stay as, as sharp and as fit as he can so that he has more value because he'll be able to hit the ground running, uh, you hope for, for these loans. So, um, yeah, hopefully only one or two more kind of hiccups, uh, before kind of they can, everyone get settled in and obviously, you know, knocks are no good. We need to keep people, uh, healthy, um, uh, you know, in player management. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, just one more point on the, the balance and the preparations as much as Chelsea might explicitly not want. Ross Barkley to be around or Batshuayi or even Billy Gilmore and have no role for them they still have a responsibility to these players under contract to uh, to keep them fit to keep them training to keep their standards of football high to make sure that when they go out on loan they're in a position to impact the, the club and the league wherever they end up playing and the development squad is a vehicle for development of players at the club but everyone at the club ultimately serves the first team in some manner so as much as it might frustrate uh, the academy staff or the development squad staff or people who follow it like you and I to to see a result like this that you you can't directly attribute it to the senior involvement they did they wasn't they lost because of this i just think that you can quite easily explain away uh, a disjointed performance by the unfamiliarity between the two different groups of players. All right. Well, we can move on to a little bit more of a positive result. And by a little bit, I mean a lot of it, because while Fulham are West London rivals, we still had the 18s taking on another London rival, that being Arsenal, uh, which, you know, historically two of the best academies uh, in England. Obviously, Man City has completely butted their head into that conversation. But kicking off the season with a 1 0 win at Arsenal, thanks to Leo Castadine to start their season. Uh, thoughts on and first impressions of the 18s as they kicked off the new campaign away to Arsenal. Yeah, it was a it was a good win. It wasn't a classic game. It was played in extremely warm temperatures, um, uh, which 
took its toll on a, a group of really young players by the end of the game. Every break in play, somebody else was suffering with cramp or um, dehydration or various other ailments directly because of that. I remember, it's early season. They haven't got their match legs under them and they haven't, they've only just got pre-season minutes in them. Uh, Leo scored about five minutes in. There was a long ball over the top. The Arsenal goalie rushed out and didn't get his clearance right and Leo just popped it back over his head from about 40 yards. And from there, Chelsea had the better of the first half an hour. A couple of chances they didn't take. Arsenal will feel that they probably deserved a point. They had much better of the second half. Amario Cozia Dubri was a threat throughout. But but Chelsea defended well. They got a clean sheet away from home. They they lost heavily at Arsenal last season, so they'll be very happy going up there with a team that was mostly made up of the first year scholars and a couple of schoolboys. Kian O'Dyer started in central midfield. He's still an under sixteen. Leo Castledine and Brody Hughes were the only second years, I think, and the rest of the group was the new uh younger intake and it was it was really impressive. Harrison Murray Campbell and Travis Akamera at centre half had really strong games. Dyer, like I say, ran the midfield a lot of energy. Harrison McMahon, who spent a lot of last season injured in the under sixteens, has come along strong in pre season, scored a bunch of goals in the tournament they won in Germany and had a good game here. Uh, and I think it's a promising start. A couple of years ago they went to Arsenal on the opening day of the season and one two one. Um Armando Broja scored in that one. And I think three years later he's in the Premier League, um, influencing Chelsea in the first team. So those players will see that sort of journey ahead of them, but uh, for now, at the very least, it's nice to start with a win on the road against a rival, a good rival at that, and they can uh, look forward to coming back to Cobham this coming weekend where they host Leicester, uh, trying to go two for two. I love it. I love it. I love it. Energy, youth, uh, youngsters out there bursting at the seams, one nothing against Arsenal. Like That is the positive momentum you want to see. It's good to see both teams uh, start the season with wins, albeit the the second te- you know match for the Devs, what obviously was the loss. But like you want to get off on a positive start. Momentum matters. Results matter. Um, and you know I think Chelsea have had a really long-standing record of winning the first game of the season, bar one in the couple of seasons past. But um, it is so the under-18s, they, they haven't lost on the opening day since 2010 now, I think. So they do tend to start the season really well. They they've got uh, they, they like to, to hit the ground running and go out to a lead because we know we saw it at the back end of last season. The fixture list starts to pile up towards the end. So you 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 ideally want to carve out an advantage so that you can compete on multiple fronts rather than trying to play catch up. And it's positive in that regard. Bragging rights over Arsenal is good. They've got a lot of good young talent in and they don't seem to be stopping because every week there's a new signing coming into the under-18s. What a segue, you pro you. We're going to talk about transfers and new signings. Um, But before we do that, we're going to take a quick ad break. So thank you to the sponsors for financially supporting the show and we'll be right back. All right, our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because, well... It's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in. You know, we're all focused on our macros with protein, carbs, and and fat. And now we got to add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables. It's just hard to eat that many servings a day. So uh, I started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient. I'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable, resistant immune system. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of the things. Again, I do it. It's easy. It's fast. It's quick. Uh, I throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work, drink it, 
it it goes down quickly uh and like i said you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily uh, but hey don't listen to me athletic greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews it's recommended by professional athletes and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills, supplements to look out for your gut health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say, give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, Phil, before the break, you just uh, strategically hinted at new signings, uh, transfer rumors and targets and things like that. Um, Cobham has been a very busy place, not only with just signings, but trialists too. I think that's probably like an unspoken part of Academy scouting and things like that. Um, so new faces officially pen on paper, uh, at La Cobham. Yep. Uh, and a couple of deals that were unofficially announced by various sources, um, over the last couple of weeks, but since you and I last spoke here. Uh, both players have confirmed their moves. Tyler Dibbling has come from Southampton. He's a 16-year-old left-footed uh, wide forward. Um, most famously uh, scored a hat-trick of pretty much identical goals against Newcastle in the PL2 last season as a 16-year-old. They were all scored in the first half, picked up from central area just inside the attacking half, dribbling forward, unmarked, shot, bottom corner. Kind of reminiscent of Harvey Vale's second goal for Chelsea at Wolves last week. Um, he's an England under-16 international. He's, like I say, had a full season of under-18 football at Southampton while still a schoolboy and moved into their PL2 team and was on their first team bench at the back end of last season. Chelsea moved to get him. He has a, a real weapon of a left foot, if uh, you dig out some footage. When, when that shot goes off, it's one of those... I'm not saying he's an Arjun Robin clone regen he's not going to have that same trajectory but he has that similar vibe of I'm going to get onto my left foot whether you like it or not and then when I shoot I'm going to score the rest of his game is exciting he's still 16 let's let him develop but that's the sort of thing you can expect to see from him at youth level um, and hopefully uh, he's the sort of player that you might end up pushing on to the development squad at the end of the year they've already got Amari Hutchinson up there as a left-footed attacking midfielder and Harvey Vale Let's see whether they end up going on loan because if both of them do, then there's an op an opening for a similar sort of player to move up if he if he deserves it. The other player that came in is technically still a club under 15, but we'll make an exception for discussing him because despite being born in October 2007, he already has played under 18 football for his old club Brighton and has already trained with the Chelsea under 18s. His name is Shin Mayoka. Um, he is an England under 15, soon to be under 16 international centre forward and is one of the premier talents of his age group, not just in England, but in the country, in, in Europe, I think. Um, he played against Chelsea's under-17s in the under-17 Cup last season, a month before turning 14, uh, scored twice and generally ran the show against some of the boys he's now joining. And his arrival is just another example of Chelsea's aggressive academy recruitment this summer. They've gone out and they've said, right, let's, let's play fantasy football. Who can we get from each age group? Let's get Amari Hutchinson, let's get Carney Chukwemeka, let's get Tyler Dibbling, let's get Shin Melka. They mean business. They've gone around and uh, accentuated the high level of talent at Cobham with pretty much the best from 
outside. And he, I don't think he'll be an under-18 regular, at least not at the start of the season, but you can expect to see Mayuka play um, at a notable level sooner rather than later, I think. And that's so impressive and like so crazy in the sense of the level of investment at, amongst all ages and teams. Um, you know, I, I recorded earlier today with Matt Law, which I'm sure most people have listened to, Phil. And Matt was saying that he feels like he has a good understanding of Bully's vision for Chelsea, especially when it comes to like the transfer market. And he was saying that they definitely want big names. They want best players in England, best players in Europe, best players in the world. And we've seen them at least target them. You've gotten in Raheem Sterling. Um, you know, Kaladu Koulibaly, I think, is quickly showing Chelsea in England and, and just how good he really can be. Um, and they're not done going after more people and trying to get it done. Fofana, um, some other players like that. And then so he's like, they uh, they definitely want to go get the, the big name players that are ready today. But then he also said it's really important to Todd that they go and get the best youngsters in England and then Europe when they can. But he made it sound like England was non-negotiable. And this was a big tie-in with the Anthony Gordon bid of $40 million. Matt seems to feel that he's pretty confident that's real. Everton went over 50. Matt doesn't think that Chelsea are going to go that high, but they at least want to test Everton's resolve when they're kind of in a weak spot. Because if they can, I think he's an under-21 England international, um, and they can go and bring in a bunch of those top talented English players, um, their value is, you know, you put them on the Chelsea platform, it instantly goes up 10, 15 million. Um, and then if they play, it doubles is kind of what he's thinking. So um, I, I'm sure you have thoughts and, and ideas on, um, 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 you know, th that strategy, I guess. Yeah, plenty of them. Uh, in, in a way, it sort of harks back to the prime years of Michael Emanalo, who pretty much instigated the lone army as we know it now but with a, a more diverse uh, array of talents coming in from mostly central europe southern europe and occasionally south america and obviously under the the brexit based restrictions the clubs in england now operate under your recruitment scope is far narrower and and that means that you you need to prioritize english domestic homegrown talent and we know that in Bowley's other sporting ventures with the Dodgers, they've assembled um, what's widely renowned to be a deep and rich and versatile farm system development pipeline. And it makes every bit of sense for Chelsea to try to imitate that in the ways that they can. There's no draft system in England, obviously, but if you can diversify your talent pool, not just with the players that you're bringing through the academy but bring into the academy from elsewhere then it theoretically gives you that many more that that, that much more of a chance uh, of producing talent to either play in your first team or to sell at a profit you buy more lottery tickets you have a slightly bigger chance of winning the lottery in this case your odds of producing a player are much greater than winning the lottery because those you're basically never going to win that uh, so it makes it makes sense that the new ownership has gone to the academy and said Go nuts. Here's a budget. Go and get everybody you want. And then you operate in that Emanalo zone, which is kind of weird because the club doesn't have a formal director of football. 
and the board for all of their strengths don't have anybody operating as with the with the nuanced knowledge of European football particularly development so whether it's Tuchel's recommendations or Scott McLaughlin or Jim Fraser in the academy you're seeing various influences we know that Gagas Lonina was a hangover recommendation from Lolishon and Czech there will be somebody at the club who's had a long time view of Cesare Casade at Inter and thought let's go move for him yes he had uh, a breakout at the European under-19s, which we'll talk about in a bit. But in general, I think it's a sensible approach to give yourself options as to, to find the next guy. We've I've, I've railed against this for a few years, mostly going back to when Thibaut Courtois left and Chelsea panic-bought Kepa. You want the next one at the club, whether it's your own talent or somebody else. We knew that Courtois was going to be the next one when Czech was moving on. And you have to make that decision a year early rather than a year late. They made it at the right time. And then for a little while, when the Emanalo operation was scaled back, they sort of got away from having those options. You didn't have a De Bruyne in the, in the pipeline. You didn't have a Courtois. You didn't have what Emanalo had set up. And Chelsea had the good fortune, but I don't like calling it good fortune because a lot of people put a lot of hard work into it to produce a Fikayo Tomori, a Tammy Abraham, a Mark Gurhi, a, a Billy Gilmore, all of the academy players that have since been marginalised. And as good as Cobham is and as strong as Cobham is, you can't guarantee that those players are going to come year on year on year. The talent is special because it doesn't come through all the time. And so... With all the will in the world, Chelsea will continue to produce those guys through Cobham. But if you can go out and bring in the best from elsewhere, it just gives you that much more of a chance of being successful for the long term because you have options when hard decisions need to be made. That makes a lot of sense, obviously, in the fact of, you know, I think you nailed it. The Courtois to Czech uh, transition was perfect. It was hard in the moment. Um, but it was the right time. Uh, even though Czech had some good years left in him, uh, you were going to get far more good years out of Courtois at that point anyways. Um, and, you know, Matt Law is obviously a huge fan of Emanalo's work at Chelsea as well and feels like that's when Chelsea were at her best, when he was supported the most. And it's kind of been um, very choppy since then as far as recruitment and, and club ethos and play style. And part of that goes to the managers, which, you know, was a Roman style that he would chop and change as needed, but it kept the standard high. Um, and so, you know, now we're going to have to see. It looks like, you know, one thing I don't know, and I don't know if any one of us would be able to know, Phil, is like how much Tuchel would be aware of the young players they're buying or if they're just kind of stockpiling and just waiting to see what happens. Because even if you assume that they like Tuchel and want him there for another three to five years so that it makes sense to buy Tuchel-friendly players like Kukurea, Tuchel-friendly, Fofana, Tuchel-friendly, uh, Raheem, Tuchel-friendly, they all are fitting, you know, in this mode, Koulibaly, same thing. Uh, do you have any sense or idea that Chuck Omeka, uh, t Dibbling, um, uh, uh, I can't remember the kid who came from Arsenal now, I'm blanking. Hutchinson. 
Hutchinson, if they, you feel like they're Tuchel-esque players, or do you think it's a little bit more of, hey, let's just go get the best players at these like under 21 levels, and then we'll kind of figure it out from there? I think in the case of Chuck Wemeka and Hutchinson is certainly dibbling. These are academy-led. These are Jim Fraser's business. Uh, we know the Tuchel may have helped sweeten the deal to get Chuck Wemeka over the line and convince him to come down. It, it always helps speaking to the first-team manager and being in the first-team environment. Uh, on the first team side, I think I, I don't think Tuchel would have the greatest depth of knowledge of uh, some of the best young talent, not just in England but in Europe. And that's not a criticism at all. He's a very, very busy first team manager, um, and I think it kind of speaks uh, the signings that Chelsea have made speaks to the scope of what he is and isn't aware of. We know that he's he's spoken in preseason about not having seen very much of Levi Colwell. You've got a whole season worth of footage if he has the time and inclination to see it, but he was talking from the perspective of he doesn't know very much about him and wanted to see him through preseason. The the players that Chelsea have brought in mostly this summer and mostly at Tuchel's direction have been players that he's come up against. He's played against Raheem Sterling, he's played against Marco Correa, he's come up against Wesley Fofana and wants to sign him. Koulibaly has been around for a long time and is a known commodity at the very top of his game. Um, and the, the links with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang won't go away, and Tuchel has a, a long-standing relationship with him as well. So it's no criticism to suggest that he has a narrow scope of intended recruitment. It's not meant to be his job, and everyone's trying to get through as much as they can this summer. It does speak to the importance of uh, hiring uh, a qualified and highly skilled sporting director as soon as possible, because then you can start to strategize a little bit more but in terms of who's come in so far, I think it's been Tuchel gets to pick and make the decisions at first team level. Uh, and everybody outside of that is leaning mostly on the recruitment department and on uh, Jim Fraser and the academy. Well, you earned it, right? So I think that that is okay. Uh, the next one that we we had to talk about was uh, Cesar, Cesare, Casade. I don't know. I don't speak Italian. I'm not going to lie. Um, but obviously the the young midfielder from Inter Milan looks all but done. We've gotten the Fabrizio stuff. Uh, Matt Law, uh, you know, pretty much felt like it was a done deal, even though he didn't know much about it on the the earlier pod today. Um, so uh, I guess what do you know about him as a player? What can we expect? It looks like he's on another 15 plus five, uh, same as Chukwameka, six year plus one contract seems to be the, uh, the standard template for bringing these young players in right now. Um, Bully loves a six plus one. It sounds like even Mason and Reese are looking at six plus ones as well. So, um, yeah. Cassidy, what's uh, what's up with him? I won't pretend to be an expert on him. Uh, before we get into him, I would recommend that anyone who would like to learn a lot more about him would check out friend of the podcast, CFC Central's uh, breakdown that he published earlier today as we record. Uh, check out him on Twitter. He's done a, a really nice piece looking at his strengths and weaknesses in overall game. Um, watch him a bit in the Euro under-19s in the summer, the England one. Um, Italy went far in that tournament as well semi-finals he's a, a very modern day central midfielder and uh, quite a little bit like Chuck Wemeka in that you can play him as a six an eight or a ten the the deeper orchestrator or the eight that goes box to box or the ten that operates in that zone just outside the penalty area and getting into it he's got a good scoring record he's got a nice size he's good in the air he has some resemblances to Michael Ballack in the way that he attacks and moves because he's got that tall and elegant frame when he's defending, I think he's actually quite an interesting deeper player that 
with he's he's got these long legs and this long range that sort of evokes memories of Nemanja Matic in the way that he went about his business. And so depending on which part of his game you want to drill down into, you have a, a multi-skilled weapon there. And it's a very similar arrangement to Chuck Wemeka, similar age, both shine in the under-19s, both can do a little bit of everything in central midfield, both going for around the same fear, 15 plus 5, both going to get a long-term deal. So maybe you're hedging your bets on one of the two doing well. We know that Chelsea are facing some tough decisions in central midfield with contracts, particularly pertaining to Jorginho, particularly to Angola Kante. But also, Billy Gilmore's future is uncertain. Mateo Kovacic is the only one who's tied down to a long-term deal but seems to be struggling with knee injuries and ailments that may slow him down. He's had a long senior career. Uh, yes, his age isn't the issue. It's when he started. If he comes through at 17, then you've had X more minutes on your legs than whoever. So it makes sense that Chelsea are investing in central midfield right now. Uh, the, the big question as far as Cassidy is concerned is what do you do with him right now? If you've put Chuck Wemeka in as your... I wouldn't I don't bridge central midfielder for the youth team going from the dev squad to the first team and getting the minutes when they're available. You may not have room for two. And Chuck Wemeka's had some Premier League experience, whereas Cassaday has had no Serie A experience. He was on the bench for Inter once last season, but has otherwise only played for their Primavera team. And had he stayed at Inter, I think the next step would have been alone. Serie B, maybe Serie A. You'd like to think a, a, a smaller Serie A team like Ampadu went to Venezia last season. Venezia have been relegated, but a similar stature sort of team. Um, I think it's clear that he's ready for a first-team challenge, but where you do that is quite important. I don't necessarily think Chelsea are signing him to bring him in and compete for minutes right now. And I'm not sure he's under that impression either, but there's there's plenty to work with there. Very interesting. Again, as we're talking about bringing all these pieces in, where do they go? You know, And it's like... Do they want to be in academy football? Are they looking for a loan right away? And so it's something they're going to have to sort out pretty quickly as well. Um, you know, squad composition of the first team affects the dev squad. And then the dev squad mm-hmm. composition affects the 18s. And so it's all connected. It's all interlinked. You know, and like I said, we kind of have this swelling of players that are right on that bubble, you know, right on the cusp of maybe not quite ready for first team football but they might even be like beyond the dev squad. So what do you do with them? And nine times out of 10, Chelsea's going to find them alone. So, And in, in, in the old days, we were, and it speaks volumes that we haven't even discussed this for I don't know how long, but our minds would have immediately gone to Vitesse. That's true. Some of these loans. And Chelsea had nobody at Vitesse last season. And my memory's failing me, but the season before, I think it was maybe just one player um, and it's escaping me who it was right now but for, for the best part of a decade Chelsea had at least two there sometimes three, four and five and it was okay we're going to send Mason Mount there we're going to send Dominic Solanke there we're going to send Josh McEachern and Izzy Brown and Bertrand Traore and endless numbers of young players and then that sort of dried up and Armando Brogia was the last real success that they had there and and that relationship faded and Vitesse they've gone their own way and they, they want to be less reliant on players coming particularly from Chelsea but also just from the loan market and they've done well to to to, to adjust to a new future but in terms of the way Chelsea work with Vitesse I don't think it necessarily exists as we once knew it it would be interesting to see Cassidy play in the Eredivisie 
it's a nice introduction to play into the senior game uh, for a host of reasons, not least because it, the defending in the Eredivisie is far less physical um, than most mid-level European leagues. But if you want to maximise the talent you're going to get out of him, I would, like we say, look to Serie A. I just think it was an interesting angle that we've spoken for a good couple of years about this and Vitesse hasn't been at the forefront of uh, of our discussions when in the Emanalo era it certainly was. And if Chelsea are moving back into that sort of operation and bringing in a Slonina, a Chukwemeka, a Cassidy and whoever knows who else, do you need to expand your stable of clubs like Manchester City have with City Football Group and maybe have uh, and like Brighton have for that matter they've got Union Saint-Gilois in, in Belgium they've got other sister clubs around the world do Chelsea need to find a similar arrangement with another club to to, to station some of these players at for the betterment of their development while they're waiting to come into the first team maybe you can keep uh, a want-away academy player who's ready for senior football a little bit longer if there's a really high-level club that you can send them to. Union Saint-Gilois have been in the Champions League qualifiers this year. Yeah, they were eliminated by Rangers, but it's it's that sort of thing that you, if you do smart business and we've got a new ownership group who we know are very smart and this is the way that certain high-level football clubs are now operating, maybe that's something to look out for. I promised I was listening, but you sent me on a quick Google search when you talked about Vitessa and the teams that we people that we sent there. And you reminded me that we sent 35-year-old Eduardo backup goalkeeper there on loan after we released him <laughs> so he could do coaching on the side. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's, what a it's throwback. It would be quite a useful sports request to put together. Can you name everybody that Chelsea sent to the test? Do you remember Ulysses Davila? Do you remember I Wallace? Do. What was he, Chilean? Uh, Davila was Mexican. Oh. We had Christian Cuevas from Chile. Look, I was I was fishing in the right <laughs> pond. And yes, I understand there's Central and South America, different continents. There, there, there was, you could go back on the, the minutiae of some of the peak loan army, Stipe Peritska. You could go Joao Rodriguez. There, there were players that... There was Christian Manea from Romania who never officially joined Chelsea but once appeared on their lone army map. Which is, <laughs> there's so many niche elements to how this operation went down over the years. And right. um, there's probably a reason or two along the line why Chelsea have had more than one transfer ban over the years, but I digress. It's um it's it's certainly an era to look back on and maybe we can do a deep dive on that at some point. But yeah. it's it's fascinating to me now that there's a new ownership group that seems to be very open to tackling different ways of trying to uh, you know, to put Chelsea back at the top of the table, uh, not just in England but in Europe as regular Champions League contenders, regular Premier League contenders. And one of the interesting ways you can do that is to partner with other clubs. If they wanted to sign Endrick from, uh, from Brazil right now, they couldn't do anything with him until he's 18. He can't move to Europe until he's 18. But then when he's 18, are you going to chuck an 18-year-old Brazilian straight into the Premier League or where are you going to put him? Having that sort of plan of where you can station these players, Manchester City have got partner clubs all over the world, gives you more options. That's all it is. And it, the chances of some of them making it into the first team, we know City, for example, signed Jack Harrison from New York City. And they had him around, they sent him to Leeds. He's done very well for himself at Leeds. At the very worst, uh, if you have this sort of arrangement, you can 
cut around the edges and make a little bit of profit here and there on the wider uh, sphere of influence in your group. But every now and then, you'll have somebody who can make a real impact. And for for an ownership group that's doing a lot right now, I really wouldn't be surprised if it's something that they get into eventually. Look, I, I guarantee you they're going to look at every single option available to them. But hey, real quick before we wrap up, uh, we do I do want to touch on the uh, upcoming fixtures for the team. That way, for you Cabo aficionados, you can uh, keep on keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on there. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, so, Phil Dev Squad, they are now taking their trip away to Arsenal. Uh, at the weekend and it's free i've seen from your tweets and did it get moved from friday to saturday as well it did indeed yeah oh, I'm arsenal, so good as we you are indeed as we um are recording arsenal just finished playing a premier league cup tie against swansea and i believe that's the reason it was moved there's various um adjustments to the schedule under 21 level because there's so much going on the EFL trophy is at the end of this month so there wasn't a whole lot of room to move around in so Arsenal play the game tonight and move from Friday to Saturday so that game's at Boreham Wood on Saturday afternoon 2pm free entry if you're nearby or fancy a trip to Boreham Wood you don't need to get a ticket you can just turn up and go in um, that's 2pm Saturday two hours before the under 18s are at home to Leicester at Cobham uh, looking to go two from two and after that Dev Squad have got Manchester City at uh, Kings Meadow. Tickets are available for that. Um, whether there's a first team overflow or not, it'll be a high level game. Manchester City have got one of the best academies in England, so the Chelsea. They're looking for a, a big attendance at Kings Meadow for that one. So get your tickets nice and early, go and cheer the boys on and uh, make that place into uh, a little bit more of a fortress. It would be nice to have some, some really sizable attendances down there. It's a really nice venue relatively accessible certainly far more than order shot ever was and um you're gonna get to see stars of the future i love it that is a good promo for the academy and their upcoming games yeah big ones on the docket so if you're around i know clayton lives right by king's Meadow. i'm sure he'll be able to pop on over he's at the the dev squad match in the rain as well so uh check it out if you can otherwise uh follow phil at chelsea youth he posts if it's streaming if it's being broadcast all these different things if tickets are available and stuff like your number one source that's why we love to be able to work with them um i have my notifications on so that's how i knew all that stuff it's not because i did my homework i just cheated off of phil's test so thank you for that phil you take good notes <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure Awesome. All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up. Hope you enjoyed another Academy update. Again, if big things move and shake, we will bring back with more information. But until then, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.